Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Jessa Oh My Heart picked up the orb and felt its weight in his hands. At the moment, it was empty. Nothing more than a vacant sphere of glass waiting to be filled, waiting for purpose, waiting for Jessa to give it purpose. He picked up a jug of water and felt energy coursing through him. Divine radiance spilled from his fingers. As he poured the water into the glass, he almost saw the spiritual transformation taking place. The ordinary liquid quickly becoming energized with the holy current of God. He felt a surge of pride. He thanked God with his divine heart for giving him this special gift. He set the glass orb on the table next to rows and rows of other artifacts. He already had a long line of buyers waiting for them. His blessed objects were ready to be sent out of Australia and into the world. He knew that soon, with his gift, he'd draw dozens of followers to his mission of enlightenment. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at occult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we'll talk about Gerald Hart Atrill, also known as Jessa Oh My Heart. From his picturesque compound in Tyalgum, Australia, Jessa said he could create powerful objects filled with divine energy. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, Jessa capitalized on the power of the internet to bring hundreds completely under his spell. Next week, we'll discuss how Jessa successfully silenced his critics for years, until one former member refuse to stay quiet. We'll have all this and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. People always want to feel healthier, happier, and more fulfilled. Tending to self-care has become a top priority, but achieving those, as we all know, is a lifetime ambition. 
However, there will always be people promising a shortcut to wellness. People like Jessa Oh My Heart, who prey on our wants for a better life. Unfortunately, this path often leads to ruin. Before he became Jessa, Gerald Hart Attrell was a private figure who revealed few details about his early life to the public, and personal records are scant. However, we do know that he was born around 1941 in Hobart, the capital of the island state of Tasmania in Australia. Gerald spent most of his early life there until his late 20s. In 1968, he graduated from the University of Tasmania with a degree in psychology and moved to the mainland where he settled in Sydney. Perhaps hoping to make a difference to vulnerable populations, he took a clinical psychologist position at the crisis center of the Wayside Chapel in King's Cross. The neighborhood was known as the Red Light District and the Bohemian Center of the city at the time. In that eclectic environment, Gerald likely got the chance to treat a variety of patients from all walks of life. However, working at a crisis center in a major city undoubtedly brought Gerald high levels of stress, and eventually he decided on a change of pace. He left Sydney and relocated about 500 miles north to the city of Toowoomba in Queensland. There, he accepted a lecturer position in psychology at the College of Advanced Education. As a teacher, he grew comfortable delivering concise, effective lessons to rooms full of students and mentoring his more dedicated pupils. At some point in either Sydney or Toowoomba, he met his future wife, Drew Porter, a woman 11 years his junior. Little is known about Drew's early life, but we know the couple was deeply in love. Not long after their union, the pair decided to relocate to Byron Bay on the coast of New South Wales, Australia. In doing so, Gerald left psychology for good. Instead, Gerald and Drew launched several businesses together. First, they established a health food shop and then a cafe and bookstore. While running the bookstore, it appears that Gerald developed some unorthodox interests and New Age beliefs. Specifically, he became fascinated with the works of American guru Adi Da Samraj. Adi Da rose to fame in the 1970s when he wrote several texts on human enlightenment. Each of his works borrowed heavily from Eastern religious concepts, such as reincarnation and karma. Gerald seemed struck by Adi Da's teachings that humans held the potential to achieve a divine state. Adi Da soon became one of the most important, if not the most important influence in Gerald's life. At some point in the late 1970s or early 80s, Gerald became so enamored with Adi Da's philosophies that he and his wife Drew gave up their life in Byron Bay. They moved to Melbourne and joined an Adi Dam community, the Laughing Man Institute. There, Gerald and Drew attended lectures, seminars, and retreats aimed at enlightenment. Most importantly, Gerald worked to discover in himself that same divine energy he felt radiating from Adi Da. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Gerald's turn towards alternative religions may seem extreme. He rejected his traditional career and abandoned his home, all in pursuit of some higher truth. But for a spiritualist like Gerald, this was a necessary step towards enlightenment. British sociologist and anthropologist Paul Helis discusses this New Age mind frame in his 1996 book, The New Age Movement. He wrote, 
The great refrain running throughout the New Age is that we malfunction because we've been indoctrinated, or in the New Age sense of the term, been brainwashed by mainstream society and culture. According to the New Age thought at the time, this brainwashing blocked a person's ability to experience one's authentic, true self. Gerald likely felt spiritually closed off due to mainstream society, but he was determined to undo the damage. However, Gerald didn't go about that in the traditional New Age sense. While in Melbourne, he and Drew didn't completely disavow more material concerns. Instead, it seems that the couple made a good living managing a vegetarian restaurant. It seems that Gerald just couldn't fully give up his old material ways. They stayed in Melbourne for a little while, but in 1984, Gerald parted with the Adidam group. We don't know why he left. After all, he still wholeheartedly believed in Adidas' teachings. But it's possible that Gerald wasn't content to remain a follower. Instead, he felt ready to become a spiritual leader. The couple left Melbourne and first moved back up to Byron Bay before settling in the mid-1990s to a sprawling property outside of the rural village of Tyalgum in New South Wales. During this time, they re-established themselves as business owners, opening at least one storefront, which sold products aimed at the holistic lifestyle. This pivot in business ventures was the start of Gerald's life's work. He seemed obsessed with discovering the secret to a purer form of living, and he wanted to share this wisdom with the world. Gerald's continued search for enlightenment led him to the study of alchemy, an ancient tradition drawing from both chemical science and speculative philosophy, and aimed at transforming matter. The most typical application was the idea that non-precious metals could be turned into gold. But alchemists also tried to find a universal elixir, a substance that could cure any disease and prevent aging. As Gerald sought to learn everything he could about the subject, he became fascinated with Hermes Trismegistus, the name given to an Egyptian mythical figure who's said to have been the author of great mystic and alchemist texts. Ancient Greeks living in the Ptolemaic Kingdom of Egypt first began worshipping Hermes Trismegistus as early as the 2nd or 3rd century BCE. According to scholars, he was derived from a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. Worshippers credited Hermes with inspiring the arts, sciences, and medical practices of the ancient civilizations. The cult of Hermes Trismegistus survived for centuries and became particularly popular among philosophers and alchemists in the Middle Ages and Renaissance. However, these more recent adherents didn't necessarily accept Hermes as a god. Instead, they believed he was a real human being who lived in ancient Egypt. They praised Hermes as the author of several texts related to philosophy, mysticism, and alchemy. Continuing in this age-old tradition, Gerald decided that he too was an alchemist. Like the old philosophers, Gerald sought to create mystical objects and purifying elixirs from ordinary materials. He spent more than a decade trying to perfect his art, until, in his mind, he succeeded. Gerald was vague on the details of how he managed to complete these transmutations, but he seemed to sincerely believe that he could turn water, glass, or wood into powerful healing totems energized with godly power. He called these creations his artifacts and claimed that they could rid the body of negative energy. Around 1996, 55-year-old Gerald founded a new company called Infinity Forms of Yellow Remember. Gerald and his wife Drew carried a wide variety of objects, 
jewelry, drinking glasses, sculptures, and wands, as well as hundreds of potions made from distilled water. A company brochure described these items as creatively and continuously touched as a present creation alchemically by the most panegyric Gnostic science of Hermes Trismegistus. That seemed to be a long way of saying that Gerald's products were imbued with divine energy. He, the alchemist, had created them to transfer this positive energy into the consumer. Of course, these artifacts didn't come cheap. Gerald sold some of these products for thousands of Australian dollars, but as far as he was concerned, they were well worth the price. Gerald promised that his creations and potions could do extraordinary things. He said they could mend broken bones and cure serious illnesses like heart disease, addiction, and HIV. Gerald declared they could even lengthen the human lifespan up to 200 years. Beyond that, he said, they offered spiritual healing and a path to enlightenment. His claims were perhaps outlandish to the average shopper, but not everyone who wandered into his store was skeptical. Gerald found that there were always people in the world trying to improve themselves, looking to escape pain and suffering, or attempting to understand the secrets of the universe. Gerald gave them the answers they were searching for. Dozens of people flocked to him, and he eagerly embraced them into the fold. Up next, Gerald adopts a new persona, the Divine Incarnate. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and I'm hosting the new limited series, Hollywood Scandals. We all know that Tinseltown is the land of glitz and glamour, but look closer past the allure of bright lights and red carpets. There, you'll find a more disturbing tale, one filled with tragedies and transgressions so damaging they've turned hopes and dreams into high-profile nightmares. Every Monday on this Spotify original, discover the real-life dramas of some of entertainment's biggest names. From the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood and the murder trials of comedian Fatty Arbuckle to the star clients of Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss. Each episode of Hollywood Scandals has been curated from shows across the ParCast network, covering over a century's worth of controversies, from the silent era into the digital age. Fame and fortune may be fleeting, but scandals, they stand the test of time. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Hollywood Scandals. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now back to the story. 
Around 1996, 55-year-old Gerald Hart Attrill took his first steps toward becoming a spiritual leader. He and his wife, Drew Porter, established a new business called Infinity Forms of Yellow Remember in the village of Tyalgum, Australia. They sold products that they claimed were infused with healing, positive energy. However, the truth of that claim was far from clear. One of their most interesting products was a potion that they sold for as much as $40 per bottle. What they didn't tell their clientele was that the potion only contained distilled water that the couple had purchased in bulk for $1 per liter. The pair also sold jewelry and amulets that were often marked up by nearly 2,000%. Some of their more expensive products were a series of plastic boxes called threshold packs, which held dozens of vials of energized water. Each vial supposedly contained a different healing property. The product description didn't make clear whether these vials were meant to be consumed or merely held, but Infinity promised miraculous improvements for anyone who purchased them. The pack sold for around $5,000. One of their priciest items was called the Saturn Bubbler. These were sculptures made of glass, liquid-filled spheres set upon a revolving plastic base. Infinity claimed that these Saturn bubblers emitted a powerful energy force that, when placed in one's living space, could restore and purify the surrounding area. These cost around $6,000. Even with these inflated markups, Gerald didn't seem to have much trouble finding customers. He sold enough of his artifacts to expand his idyllic 25-acre compound in Tyalgum. Gerald felt empowered by his success. Clearly, he was no ordinary man. So he took on a new persona and changed his name from Gerald Hart Attrell to Jessa Oh My Heart. His wife Drew followed suit and went by Show Me Showers Heavenly Bliss. Together, the pair claimed that they were the embodiment of the divine incarnate. Essentially, Jessa advertised himself as the next coming of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that they were the same person exactly, but according to Jessa, both he and Jesus were filled with the same current of energy. Just as Jesus had once been responsible for releasing that divine energy into the world, now Jessa accepted that task for himself. Perhaps wanting to better emulate Jesus, Jessa Oh My Heart then went to work recruiting an array of devoted disciples from his most loyal customers. He invited some of these true believers to live in his Tyalgum compound, and as his wealth and power grew, Jessa accumulated even more properties. He started buying houses and trendy waterfront condos all over Eastern Australia. These additional residences quickly filled up with new Infinity members. One early follower was Ingrid Nelson, a 25-year-old from the United States. Ingrid was traveling down the Australian coast on holiday when she ended up at Byron Bay. There, she likely encountered Jessa and his wife at one of their stores. Ingrid appeared so taken with Jessa that she abandoned her plans to return to the United States. She wrote a letter home and informed her parents that she was staying in Australia. Shortly after, she joined Infinity. Like Jessa and Shomi, Ingrid adopted a new name, Clover Brightheart. Like other disciples, Clover went from being Jessa's customer to a member of his staff, and Jessa needed all the help he could get as his business rapidly expanded. In the late 90s, Jessa did well enough to open several more storefronts. New shops sprang up in Jessa's former hometown of Byron Bay and the Sunshine Coast region of Queensland. 
Jessa successfully marketed himself to everyone, not just New Age followers. He persuaded people by promising them a miracle. He said his artifacts could take away disease, emotional trauma, and mental confusion. Everywhere, Jessa found people who wanted to believe. He mastered the ability to persuade even well-educated people at institutions of higher learning. In one instance, Professor Greg J. Wilson, an exercise science and sports management instructor at Southern Cross University in Lismore, Australia, encouraged his students to ingest an infinity potion called Mighty Adam. Wilson was convinced that the elixir would improve their physical ability. After offering the potion to 55 of his students and asking them to perform exercises, Wilson wrote a rave review of the product. He said that his students showed significant increases in the performance of arm strength, cycling power, and anaerobic leg flexion. Infinity even issued a pamphlet bragging that their potion had undergone testing at Southern Cross University with positive results. Unfortunately for Wilson, the university didn't share his enthusiasm. The administration seemingly forced him to resign from his position because of the experiment. The pro-vice chancellor of the university released a statement disclaiming any endorsement of Infinity's product and citing irregularities in the professor's data analysis. With so many satisfied customers, Jessa wanted to expand the group's reach. Around the late 1990s or early 2000s, with more households than ever accessing the internet, Jessa created a website to sell products online. The site promised that Jessa's artifacts had the power to utterly transform a person and their living environment to a state of total happiness. But even as the group touted their product's effectiveness, they still shielded themselves from any blame if the mystical objects failed to work. According to the website, the limitation is not in the product, the limitation is in the reception. The products of Infinity are all perfect and would have perfect results if there was perfect receptivity. If any of his creations failed to deliver, Jessa apparently chalked it up to user error. Still, the organization continued to grow rapidly. Around the year 2000, a new center for the Infinity Group was established in Madison, Wisconsin. Another member left Australia and opened a shop in Auckland, New Zealand. Infinity's prominence was bigger than ever, but greater success and more publicity also brought the group more criticism. One organization, called the Journal of Inquiring Skeptics of Upper New York, ran a test to see if Infinity's water actually improved the strength of athletes. The results were negative. In response, an Infinity Group member released a statement saying, skepticism is a disease. It is possible for someone to not be available to the energies. Jessa ignored the doubters and concentrated on his mission. He continued to perform his alchemy rituals and produce a variety of other mystical products. Not stopping there, he further honed his spiritual philosophies. He began publishing texts of his sermons, lessons, poetry, and theories of the universe. Jessa taught his followers that most human beings are stuck in a hellish existence called the Red Realm. However, by purifying one's energies, one could ascend to the Yellow Realm. The group described this as an awakening to the enlightened condition of salvation and liberation. Of course, the only way to achieve this enlightenment was through the constant use of Jessa's alchemic artifacts. As such, Jessa required his growing number of followers to spend hours in the presence of these objects. 
One follower later said that they weren't forced to do particularly strenuous work, but it was tiring nevertheless because they were required to spend so much time meditating, reading Jess's works, and trying to improve themselves. This left little room for anything else. This meant that many members started cutting off communication with their families and left spouses and children behind. Jessa didn't appear to have any sympathy over the workload. Instead, he advised that they get no more than six hours of sleep per night. He wanted them to dedicate as many hours as possible to the process of enlightenment. While this worrying tactic is often cited by cult experts as a way to gain control of followers, it wasn't Jessa's only form of abuse. One former member, who went by the name Soon Gathers Delight in Grace, later described Jess's manipulative, predatory behavior. She told reporters at ABC Australia that she was asked to have sex with Jessa and then told to keep it a secret. She wasn't even permitted to discuss it with other close members of the sect. She didn't feel that she could turn him away. By that point, Grace was thoroughly convinced that Jessa was Jesus Christ incarnate. Grace would have done anything for him. So, she agreed to have sex with Jessa. Cult leaders are adept at manipulation, and sexual abuse is one of the most common forms of exploitation. In a 1984 article published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, sociologist Janet L. Jacobs examines how women become abused and controlled in religious cults that follow a patriarchal authority structure. Jacobs explains that in these cults, the overall effect is a system in which men are dominant, women are submissive, and the exercise of male power leads to almost total subordination of the female devotees. In Infinity, Jessa enjoyed this new total power over his followers. But the more he took control, the more outsiders began to call the group out for its cultish practices. By now, several people had lost family members to the sect. A Brisbane cult expert, Jan Groenveld, provided counseling to several people affected by infinity. She remarked on the harm caused by the sect, saying, They cut off their family if there's any opposition. People become separated from families and become totally absorbed. Now, with cult watchdog groups on alert, local governments soon stepped in to warn the public. In 2000, Alderman Ron Christie, a politician from Tasmania, publicly criticized the group after his former partner, a nurse, joined the sect. He became concerned about Infinity after seeing his partner become obsessed with Jess's miracle cures. In an interview with a Hobart newspaper, The Mercury, Christie announced his intention to expose Infinity. His ex-partner, who had adopted the name Salsa Headrock Jr., was quick to protect Infinity from the alderman's accusations. Salsa told the newspaper, It's not a cult. That's the ridiculous thing. There's no membership. It's a heart matter. It's a feeling thing that can't be analyzed by the head. Despite her deflection, some reports pointed out that Salsa had been reprimanded by her hospital for trying to indoctrinate her patients into Infinity's fold. She sometimes came to work brandishing Jessa's wands, potions, and amulets, offering healing services to anyone willing to listen. But that external pressure was only the start. In 2001, the group received more negative publicity when the Sydney Morning Herald published an expose. Reporters visited Jess's property, trying to get his side of the story, but he refused to see them. One woman living on the property threatened to call the police to make them leave. Though none of Infinity's members agreed to be interviewed, the Herald spoke to two families who had lost loved ones to the sect. 
One man told the paper that he divorced his wife after she went to live in the cult's commune. He said he had given her more than $100,000 in the divorce settlement, but she handed the entire sum over to the sect. She said she didn't need the money because Infinity would take care of her. The Herald also interviewed the parents of American member Ingrid Nelson. Her parents said they hadn't spoken to her in nearly five years. Her mother remarked, it has been like losing a daughter. I know she's 30 now and should be able to make up her own mind, but I don't think she can see straight. I think they have brainwashed her. One cult expert, Raphael Aaron, told the Herald that the group had swelled to around 300 or 400 members. He called it one of the fastest growing and one of the most pernicious cults in Australia, and it showed no signs of slowing down. Jessa and his followers bristled at the sudden media attention. They did their best to guard their privacy and avoid inquiries, but soon they'd have a more formidable adversary to contend with, the Australian government. Up next, Jessa Oh My Heart responds to a new crisis. Now back to the story. 61-year-old spiritual leader Jessa Oh My Heart rose to power by promoting himself as an alchemist. He claimed to have the power to craft powerful artifacts and potions that could cure illnesses, purify living spaces, and help individuals achieve enlightenment. After launching an organization called Infinity Forms of Yellow Remember, Jessa achieved incredible financial success. He earned hundreds of thousands of dollars by selling products online and in storefronts across Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. His company wasn't just lucrative, it drew hundreds of followers into Jessa's orbit. They lived communally and followed his orders. They believed that Jessa was the human embodiment of the divine, a man who embodied the same energy current as Jesus Christ. But for all his accomplishments, Jessa was in trouble. By the early 2000s, media outlets all over Australia were reporting on Infinity's shady business practices and manipulation tactics. Following up on these reports, the Department of Fair Trading in New South Wales launched an investigation into the group. Fair Trading Minister John Watkins accused Infinity of duping consumers. The department conclusively proved that Infinity's potions were ordinary distilled water. Finally, in October of 2002, the New South Wales Supreme Court permanently banned Infinity from promoting and selling their healing products. About five months later, Tasmania's Office of Consumer Affairs and Fair Trading followed suit and launched its own investigation. For five years, Jessa Oh My Heart had made a fortune, selling what he claimed were miracle cures. But now, the sect's very existence was under threat. Luckily for Jessa, the court's decision didn't seem to sway the sect's members from their beliefs or shake their faith in their leader. With a loyal base, Jessa could accomplish anything. Despite being deprived of their lucrative trade, Jessa and his followers schemed to make money in other ways. Not long after the ruling, Jessa's wife, Show Me Shower's Heavenly Bliss, began work constructing a vast garden on their Tyalgum property. She called it the Garden of Light. The garden, which still exists today, sprawls across 29 acres. It includes fruit and vegetable patches, an animal sanctuary called Noah's Ark Animal Menagerie, and a private school for the children whose parents lived in the compound. The garden is advertised as a tourist destination and still offers sightseeing excursions to the public three days per week. The gardens provided the sect with a new money-making venture and the perfect opportunity to alter their image. Following the garden's lead, Infinity opened at least two coffee shops. 
Flutterby's Cottage Cafe in Tialgum, and another, Loughley Cafe, about 15 miles east in Merwillimbaugh. These rustic coffee shops were well received by their respective communities and likely became the sect's main sources of income. Between the beautiful gardens and the charming cafes, Infinity seemed well on its way to reforming its image. With this change, it wasn't surprising that Jessa continued to draw in new members. But for Jessa, that wasn't enough. He still thought of himself as an alchemist, and he had no intention of abandoning his life's work, no matter what the law said. So in December of 2002, a few months after the Supreme Court decision, Jessa unveiled a new organization. He called it Hermes Far Eastern Shining Proprietary Company Limited. This new company appeared virtually indistinguishable from the old one. Jessa and his wife retained their leadership positions, and their followers fell in line. But the pair did make a few slight changes to their operations. They stopped making unequivocal predictions of their product's effectiveness and started using phrases like, this may lead to awakening, or this could lead to empowerment. They also included disclaimers on all their products. Their new website stated, we make no medical or psychological treatment claims whatsoever. They added, with professional help, we adjusted our product range and refocused our literature to ensure that the true purpose of our work is clearly presented. The language adjustment, coupled with the new disclaimers, was apparently enough to satisfy the government. However, even though the group stopped selling bottles of water at a ridiculous markup, they did introduce a new product line of coasters. They claimed that any glass of water placed on the coaster could then become empowered water. In addition to these subtle changes, the couple was careful about who they sold these items to. They even closed some of their shops abroad, including their center in Wisconsin, and members returned to Tyalgum. Infinity maintained a few retail shops in Australia and New Zealand, but these stores started operating by invitation only. Having run afoul of Australian law once, Jessa was careful to avoid the appearance of doing it again, at least not in any obvious way. Likely to avoid local scrutiny, Jessa ramped up Infinity's presence at international expositions and festivals geared towards spiritual healing to bring in new followers. One woman, Anna Fitzgerald, a flight attendant from Ireland, later described how she encountered the group at the Mind-Body-Spirit Festival in London. After attending one of the Hermes group's workshops, Anna instantly became enamored with Infinity. She said, the devotees were enthusiastic and young and intoxicated me with kindness. This is commonly referred to as love bombing. Cult recruiters often shower their targets with praise, compliments, and flattery to lower the person's defenses and make them more persuadable. Manipulative people use love bombing as a control tactic. Psychotherapist Amy Kaplan said, it's about really getting the other person. Then when they feel like they really got the person and they feel secure in the relationship, the narcissist typically switches and becomes very difficult, abusive, or manipulative. Clinical psychologist Perpetua Neo further described the dangers of love bombing in a 2018 article from Business Insider. She said, they love bomb and then they devalue you. So you're always on high alert and you never want to do anything wrong. Because of that, your standards are lowering, your boundaries are getting pinched upon, and you lose your sense of self. 
Not wanting to let a potential recruit get away, senior members of Infinity even visited Anna at her home in Ireland. They hardly knew each other, but she seemed so earnest and so persistent that Anna didn't want to say no. After two years of contact, Anna was persuaded to quit her job and leave Ireland. Around 2004, she moved to Australia and joined the group in Tyalgum. There, she found Jess's operation in full swing. Soon, Anna Fitzgerald adopted a new name, Perplexity Swings This and That. Once she was fully initiated into the group, she was subjected to rigorous 16-hour workdays at the Hermes-owned cafes, gardens, stores, and properties, but she went along with it. The effort was worth it because, Anna said, everyone was sacrificing in order to bring the divine into the world. So even though we worked very hard, we all thought we were doing this wonderful thing together. This was exactly the kind of response Jessa depended on. Individuals who are the most susceptible to cults are often the ones who are the most idealistic. Father Louis Hughes has remarked on how cults prey on idealism, writing, Cults promise the chance to transform the world, spreading peace, creating heaven upon earth with spiritual fulfillment for all who are prepared to listen. Jessa offered precisely that. By the early to mid-2000s, the Hermes website featured a blog sharing Jessa's most profound thoughts and observations, all centered on the idea that humans could attain the bliss of total happiness beyond reason, as long as they followed in his footsteps. Armed with an idealistic message and a tight grip on his devotees, Jessa continued to thrive. His group had weathered investigations and changes. Despite the setback issued by the courts, Jessa had recovered and showed no signs of slowing down. To his followers, he was as strong and powerful as ever. As he looked to the future, his purpose remained the same. He told his disciples that he wanted the world to gracefully surrender into the truth. For the members of Hermes' Far Eastern Shining, the message was clear. The path to the truth lay only through Jessa, oh my heart. For the time being, none of them dared question him. Hundreds of people held on to his every word, following his every whim, and suffered different levels of abuse as a result. Jessa hadn't learned that power is fleeting, but soon his leadership status would be tested, first by an old enemy from his past, and then by a betrayal from within. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Hermes' Far Eastern Shining. We'll see how Jessa managed to grow his small empire, fighting off detractors and controversy. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kotovich. This episode of Cults was written by Christina Pamies, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Hey there, Carter again. Before you go, remember to check out my new podcast limited series, Hollywood Scandals. In anticipation of the Oscars, we're unearthing some of the most sordid controversies in showbiz history. 
Tune in every Monday. Follow Hollywood Scandals free only on Spotify.